I'm Adam Epstein, and I'm a dirty moderate. Dirty moderates, hope you're staying dirty and hope you're staying moderate. Thank you for joining me as always. Uh, Love your support. Love what you're helping this podcast do as we fight for freedom, fight like hell for freedom, because we think freedom means freedom for everyone. And we're hoping that we can do our part to save democracy one episode at a time. And today's episode, and by the way, I come to you, uh, I'm taping this on the Thursday, that is the final hearings of January 6th, at least the the first group of January 6th hearings. And these hearings are going to really talk about largely what happened in the three hours plus 187 minutes or so that Trump took no action while the Capitol was being assaulted. No action whatsoever. Apparently all he did was watch television. Um, But where I'm going with this is that it's a discussion about a different kind of separation of church and state. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the civilian control of the military etched into our national framework. For those of you that don't know, our constitution does not make, it makes provisions rather that that people who are serving uh, in public office, who are the civilians, right, are in control of the military. And that's there so that the military can't be its own separate branch of government that in many, many countries' cases seizes power, overthrows a democratically elected government. And it's very, very important never to forget this. You know what I mean? It's why the Pentagon reports to the president, right? The president doesn't take orders from the Pentagon. And in history, we've had generals who have who have flouted those rules, who've wanted to go ahead and make their own decisions, most famously Douglas MacArthur who Truman had to fire because he wanted to go in and blow the hell up China in the Korean War. China had just gone communist. He wanted to do it. And he was recalcitrant. He was disobedient. He was fired. Um, There have been many generals who have wanted to have their way and thankfully have been stopped by what we have, what is known as a civilian control of the military. And um, the New York Times has a sobering guest essay or an op-ed, you could call it, by a group of four-star admirals and generals from various divisions of the armed forces, all retired, who are obviously first and foremost so alarmed by uh, the idea that as the seat of power, as our capital was being ransacked and destroyed and potentially overthrown, Donald Trump did nothing. He abdicated his duty right, to preserve and protect and defend that constitution. And in the weeks leading up, in the weeks leading up, now remember this too, don't forget, if you've been watching the hearings, you'll know this. If not, please pay attention. In the weeks leading up, those terrible days, they talked about Trump, well, advisors, crazy people like Sidney Powell and others, Rudy Giuliani, uh, Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, the whole sordid lot of them said that they could order the military, Trump should order the military here we go. Okay. This isn't the church and state that we have etched in our, in our founding. Order the military to seize voting machines. I, I can't say enough how serious that is. We covered it last time, but we were all aghast at it. I mentioned it several times during my coverage and I think other elsewhere on Twitter. But guys, a mil- the military being used to seize voting machines, okay, to, do a, to have a do-over of the election. Do you understand that that order so illegal in its very, very essence would have literally endangered and undermined a key precept here, a key norm that this country is founded on. That is civilian control of the military. And we spent four years watching Donald Trump and his allies shred the norms, right? Failed to uphold their oaths of office, 
treat the presidency like a, a business, a crime syndicate, a Cosa Nostra, and a lawless, reckless gang. A lawless, reckless gang of thieves, liars, reprobates, clowns, losers, cranks, weirdos, and really dangerous people. Okay? Really, really dangerous people. Um, Americans may take this for granted, but the strength of our democracy literally, and I mean literally, rests on the fact that we have civilian control of the military. Many countries don't. This was the genius of our founders, right, who feared, right, the power coming from a monarch, made sure we had separation of powers. But, of course, at the early days, we didn't have a standing army. But having fought a war to free themselves from Great Britain, right, they wanted to have the military in a proper place, a place where it could defend the country, but yet not really be able to take over the country or not get past certain safeguards, okay? And what we saw, even in that discussion, bore the hallmarks, this discussion about seizing voting machines, I mean, having the military do it, bore the hallmark of coup d'etats, right? Certainly, we, we watch these hearings and we hope something like this will never happen again. But we have to always work to safeguard our constitution and our nation and its values. I saw something today where somebody was polled or a poll was sent out and people said they have January 6th fatigue. And these weren't Trumpers. These were just folk. Folks, democracy is not a given and freedom isn't free. Your exhaustion is the fuel of authoritarianism. They are counting on you being tired and depleted, which is what Trump has tried to do and wore everybody out. And that's why since 2020, it's been worse because he hasn't gone away. Trumpism hasn't gone away. And what these hearings are showing is the, the vast, committed, coordinated conspiracy that was going to wreck all of our foundations, not the least of which was civilian control of the military. Okay, but to safeguard this idea, military leaders, and this is what the, the generals and admirals are writing about, they have to be ready in similar situations, okay, where somehow the chain of command becomes uncertain or they don't know what orders to follow because there is a chain of command by design, right? From the unit leaders of the, ba you know, the basic unit leaders of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, et cetera, through all the commanders and the generals and up to the Secretary of Defense and the president. You see, so it's the president at the top, the civilian, and then the Pentagon chief, defense chief, and then his general, her, his or her generals, and then their admirals, and so on and so forth, go down the rankings. That is how it's structured, okay? And civilian authorities have the, are empowered, the president is, with the constitutional legal right and responsibility to decide when to use force. That's what the Constitution spells out, right? And military officers, leaders are absolutely duty-bound to advise on how to use the force and then to obey all the orders that the president gives, whether they agree with it or not. Back to my point about Truman having to fire, having to fire Doug, Douglas MacArthur. You know, they're not the first general that people have had run-ins with, but it's not up to the general to editorialize. Policy comes from the top. The top is the civilian top. The top of the military is just not the top of the chain of command.
Okay. And January 6th is a really, really, really scary example of how this relationship should play out, didn't play out, and what happens when we face a threat like this. All right. When a mob attacks the Capitol, which they did, and the and the president, who is the commander in chief, that's why that that's where that name comes from, right? The defense secretary, head of the Pentagon, currently Lloyd Austin, but each administration, there is a defense secretary uh, nominated by the president, approved by the United States Senate. The secretary of defense does not have the final set, right? The commander in chief does. I mean, when the president didn't do anything, right, there was this scary void, meaning when Trump sat there for 187 minutes and let this happen, right? The 187 minutes is from the end of his pre-riot rally, right? Onward, he sat in there watching television, as much has been attested to in these testimonies, right, if you've listened to them. But Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff testified, General Mark Milley, you may remember him, he testified this to Congress, that Vice President Mike Pence attempted to fill the void. He attempted to fill the void by calling on the National Guard to intervene, this 187-minute void. Now, it was an urgent need. I mean, there's President, vice president's right behind the president constitutionally. It's a very, very, very reasonable request. Yet the vice president technically has no role in the chain of command unless specifically acting under the president's authority, right? Because of illness or incapacitation, like if a president goes under surgery for four hours, there is an, uh, an acting president. If Joe Biden was uh, sick, although he's been diagnosed with COVID, but apparently he's okay. But I mean, if he went in for surgery today or had a treatment, that he was undergoing, Kamala Harris would be the acting president. I believe she already was for an hour or something early in the administration. And many vice presidents have had to do that. But it, because this was an illness or incapacitation, the vice president really isn't constitutionally empowered to lawfully issue orders to the military, right? Members of Congress pleaded for the military's assistance as the mob laid siege, right? But they're in the same category. It's not up to them. In the end, the National Guard deployed, they did deploy but not in response to the pleas of lawmakers, okay? But under lawful orders that were being sent down, actually from Christopher Miller, who was then the acting secretary of defense. Because it's not the vice president in the chain of command of the military, it's the president, right? And he represents, he or she represents the administration, but in this case, President Trump, and then the secretary of defense and his generals and whatever. But Chris Miller filled the void. Please, again, the pleas from members of Congress and Pence is not the reason that the National Guard was deployed. Now, should civilians who are atop the chain of command again abandon these duties or attempt to abuse it, as Trump did, military ranks have to respond, and they can, in accordance with their oaths, right, without a lawful order, let's say, from uh, the president. But just to be clear, they can't unilaterally undertake a mission. Again, separation of church and state, of civilian and military, right? Render unto Caesar, all right? Render on to the state, okay? Now, they have a duty to obey lawful orders. And if the military knew that something was really wrong, according to a court ruling, a military review, if there is truly an unlawful order, right? There isn't sense, and this is, this is tricky, a sense that they shouldn't obey. Like if Trump had said, I want to send the military in to shoot up the Capitol and arrest members of Congress, the military would be obliged and duty bound not to obey that, if you follow me, right? 
operations on U.S. soil have to comply with something called the standing rules for the use of force. Really interesting. Now, that limits the use of force, right, but explicitly authorizes it to protect people from an imminent threat of death or serious harm to defend vital assets, national security, and to prevent the sabotage of a national critical infrastructure. Well, that's that's one way to put January 6th, right? The sabotage of a national critical infrastructure, not nothing less than the cradle of our democracy, the seat of our power, capital, the rotunda, right? These are the checks on civilian officials who would make unlawful use of military personnel. How about that? There are checks on them too. So you see how this works? There's checks on obviously the military coming from the president being the commander in chief, but there are military rules and orders and laws, right? Again, the standing rules for the use of force of when the military might have to protect us from a civilian, civilian catastrophe, right? They took oaths too. Okay. To recognize threats to our democracy and folks, this is very, very important. The radicalization going on among right-wing groups, paramilitary groups, Nazis, uh, white nationalists, all of that. A lot of the radicalization is coming from the ranks of ex-cops and ex-military, people that understand violence and the use of force, and they are prepared to use it. They will, quote unquote, take this country back, right? They will take this country back through use of force in their words. So it's imperative that anyone in the military now is trained properly with proper guidance and training is what I'm trying to make a point here, but that service members, right? understand the safeguards of their job, right? Not people who've been trained to think that their military expertise or law enforcement training entitles them to be aggressive to the opposition. Such preparedness, these generals say in the article, the New York Times say it's necessary, but it's not sufficient by itself. You all take oaths. We all have an honor system in the United States. You know, one of the things that's been so scary is to see the safeguards that we thought would always hold to start to see those moorings less secure, right? That anchor kind of finding its way a little bit out of the sludge and the sand at the bottom of the ocean, kind of the ship starting to run aground, to use all the, you pick your metaphor, right? Because if we all don't live up by our oaths, civilian, military, otherwise, we can't uphold the Constitution. And that's what we swear to uphold. Sworn law enforcement officers are those who have taken an oath to, to support the Constitution of the United States, their state, their force, and the laws in their own jurisdiction, whatever their agency's jurisdiction is. They took an oath to. It's all here. Okay? But it's not self-executing. And these authors also point this out. It relies on civilian leaders equally committed to protecting and defending the Constitution, namely, and most importantly, the commander-in-chief, Right? The principle of civilian control, by the way, actually predates America. As I said, we were fighting a revolutionary war. It was commissioned, this idea was commissioned by George Washington, father of our country, first president, 1775, who was originally the military commander of the Continental Army. Okay, He was the general, uh, leading general of the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. And he was commissioned as that, but he was still under the civilian command authority of what was then the Second Continental Congress. Right. So we didn't have a constitution yet. We weren't independent yet. Uh, but we had they had formed loosely kind of formed something called the Articles of Confederation. Thirteen colonies found a way to make it work. There was still plenty of disagreements. There always had been in America. But George Washington still had to answer to Congress, even though he was in charge of the military. And this is, again, 1775. So it even predates 
the ratification of the Constitution, right, in 1787 and 1789, and, and obviously the outbreak of war in 1776. You know, George Washington was a man, and I understand many people like to look at the founders now as flawed because of the slave-owning history and the things they did, and that's not unfair, but they still gave us a blueprint to realize a more perfect union and to realize and, and to see freedom as always within everybody's reach. And imagine had Washington's better angels not prevailed and he used his power to overthrow the government, right? One of the list of grievances, you may remember in the Revolutionary War, there was something called a redress of grievances. The colonies laid it out and said, we want to be independent. We don't like this. Now, it wasn't only no taxation without representation. That's the most famous one. But King George III, who then ruled over the British Empire, and America was part, 13 colonies were part of the British Empire. One of the grievances listed against King George was, quote, his making the military independent of and superior to the civil power. Colonists said, no, no. So this is in our blood. The president's dereliction of duty on January 6th, meaning Donald Trump's dereliction of duty, tested this integrity. This endangered everybody. And character counts, folks. When you don't have people who have integrity, you don't have people who are going to obey and uphold the laws and commands of the United States. But most importantly, we learn from this something that I talk about all the time. It's, again, one of the reasons that my producers and I started this podcast and why I come at you every week with the same message and why I try to interview people with whom I sometimes agree, don't agree, would like to learn from, do learn from, because democracy is a conversation, right? But the lesson of January 6th and the lesson of this breakdown, this unusual situation where a president didn't step in to stop an attack on, on their own country, unprecedented. And what does it tell you? Democracy is never a given. Even if this were not a perilous moment, we'd still be fighting like hell for it, folks. Because as I said earlier, and I'm not the only one to say it, freedom isn't free. Freedom means freedom for everyone. But everyone has to want to fight for it, for it to have currency, for it to have purchase, for it to hold value that is larger than a law or larger than idea. It's a, it is a ingrained principle. It should be foundational. And I believe it is to the majority of Americans. But to preserve this idea, Americans can demand nothing less from their leaders, elected leaders in Congress, governors, mayors, yeah, and law enforcement too, nothing less than upholding your duty and swearing to your oath, upholding and affirming that oath. That's what we got. That's who we are. A nexus of trust, right? To always ensure, as John Adams famously said, we are a nation of laws, not men. Folks, as always, in this fight for democracy, it requires the most important thing. It requires participation. Vote.org, vote.org, vote.org. Make sure you go to vote.org. I can't say it enough and register everybody. Everything's on the line in, no in November. Before we even can deal with 2024, we got to deal with 2022. The Republicans have been, or I should say the Trump Republicans have been digging a hole for themselves, and it's up to you to stop it. Join us. Never Trumpers, always for freedom. We will not let this country burn to the ground by a bunch of traitors and seditionists. Folks, vote.org. 
We'll get you registered and get everyone you know registered, even your postal clerk, your grocery store worker, your dog walker. Do it, do it, do it. And of course, follow, listen, subscribe wherever you get your podcast to us. We are coming at you regularly uh, and with high velocity. Lots of exciting new stuff coming up soon too. So follow, listen, subscribe everywhere and anywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget, stay dirty, stay moderate, and stay safe.